For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that is at thecoachesnet. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Player-led versus player-centred one, what's your view on the topic? Two, what's your understanding of either or? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I know it's semantics, but as we always start off, right, what's the definition? So what do we mean by player-led? What do we mean by player-centred? I think that's a good place to start. And, you know, as I think about it, I'm, I'm sort of leaning towards player-led in that they're leading their own development. It'd be interesting to see if it's the same perspective as you. So, player-centred being that often the coach is designing these environments around the individual. So, there's an individual focus, there's a consideration for uh, the player. But then the danger can be is that we often say it's player-centred, but is it? You know, are these environments perhaps more, uh, I'd say, coach-centred in that... You know, even if we're design activities, but it requires us to to manage the the practice or manipulate the certain constraints or the rules or the the challenges, versus designing something where it self regulates, so it manages itself. So you might create a certain rule or a certain condition or a challenge, or just by the very nature of the the design of the activity whether it be a you know a, a circuit game and the players are managing, you know, as they're going through this activity and, and once they've finished there, if it's a one V one, they're coming round on the next one it's a two V two. But they're managing when they go, how they go, the variability within the activity and so forth. So it's not requiring the coach to to constantly have to, you know, feed balls in or manage the intensity or whatever it may be. Um and I think the beauty of that can then become is that the players are driving it. So player-led to me would be more that, you know, other players, are we co-designing like we spoke about last week, where we're taking on board their 
perspective and, and, and sort of what would you do differently? How can you make this more challenging for you? You know, players are ramping up the challenges and creating more competition within whatever it is we're creating for them versus the coach deciding everything. I mean, that's where I went. It'd be interesting to see, is it on the same lines as you? Is it, you know, where's that link with you, Yaz, and, and even everyone listening? Yeah, definitely. I think um, before I get onto that, I think it's probably just worth highlighting and reiterating that tonight's CPD, uh, this Twitter Spaces session, is part of a, a series of CPD spaces that we're going to be doing over, the, well, we started two weeks ago and we'll be hopefully continuing going forward where anyone that can completes a post-session dis- a brief dis- discussion task um, will get access to an hour CPD off the back of it. But coming back to your, your point, I think um, there's a couple of things there. First of all, I think it is, you know, you're right to say that is semantics. Um, but I think it's important that we do put some kind of definitions that maybe we can kind of distinguish and agree on um, so that coaches aren't confused. Because, you know, there's many people that will say something is player-led when, it, player led when it's actually just the coach leaving the players to it and not really having any purpose to it. But, you know, at the same time, I think player-led can also be mistaken for something that isn't necessarily player-centred. Um, but then also coach-led can also be distinguished as something that's not player-centred either. So I think it can go hand-in-hand. Hand. I think you can um, utilise a, coach a coach-led approach to to hit the player-centred um, aspect of things, if you like, and keeping the player at the forefront of things. I think for me, it's really important that we understand that if we're going to do player-led activities and we want players to take ownership where and when we're doing that and the reasons why, I think there's too many situations where you see, you know, the old phrase, let the game be the teacher and the players lead and all of that sort of stuff, I think is absolute nonsense, if I'm being honest. But I think as, you know, fundamentally the coach is required in the in the process. Otherwise, we, would, you know, we wouldn't need a coach to be present. Um, I think it's just looking at the role of the coach in particular and asking yourself, right, what does the role of the coach look like in this given moment? Is it an opportunity to stretch the players and challenge the players? Is it an opportunity to support the players? And sometimes supporting the players doesn't mean that it's player-led. So I think it's looking at do we have individuals that are striving within the group that we can utilise their, their, them as leaders within the group and giving them some direction? I think fundamentally as coaches, we need to be there to support and guide where where we can. Um, obviously, give ownership and responsibility to players to make decisions and potentially even be co-creators in the practices that we deliver within our sessions. Um, something that you're big on, I know that. Um, so yeah, those are probably my initial thoughts. I guess my, you know, my first kind of question for you though is when you're looking at whether to go with a player-led approach, what you know? How does that present itself for you in your sessions, and what are your experiences around that? And if you've ever found that sometimes the players just they don't want it, they don't want to lead, they want you to lead for them. Yeah, I think it's a great comment because there are times where there's nothing wrong with being direct um, and providing, you know, direct instruction or just uh, basically, um, I don't know if it's if it's the right terminology, direct guidance, but. There's a danger that if we're we're too exploratory in our behaviour, and um, we're we're setting too many, we're asking too many questions, we're setting too many challenges, or we're not really providing any answers. Um, that you know, equally, that can be confusing and, and ambiguous, and you know, for the players, they don't really know what they're doing. And then, what's the relevance to me? What's the clarity piece? And then, equally, the other way, obviously, as you know, is that they become purely dependent on the the coach for the answers. 
So if they ever face a problem that they've never seen before, they're always looking to the bench. And then the coach comes in and saves the day. But then the danger with that is what if the coach hasn't <laughs> got all those answers itself? So it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, really. And I think, you know, you said there, where do you normally start? I think a great place to start is defining what your values. You know, years ago, I spent some time with uh, other sports like the RFU, England Rugby, in every club I've worked in since, we've always created these values that basically define how we want to coach, how we want to support and guide. So uh, sporting, in my current role with Sporting Kansas City, we created the, this acronym SPORTING because we're sporting. Every letter represents a value. So we want self-learners, problem solvers, players who take ownership for the learning. Um, you know, that respect is a big one. Team first, that comes from the, the first team. He always talks about team first. Pete Vermees, who's the, the head coach and the sporting director, and what that means. Intelligence, nurturing, growth mindset. So each of those things, we'll, we'll try and <clears throat> think about how does that influence our behaviour, our coaches be, coaching behaviour, to then get certain things out of the players, right? So it creates that better environment. I'll give you an easier event, example, which I love. If anyone's familiar with... Um, cards that was done years and years ago with England rugby so they, they talked about you know we want to develop more skillful and intelligent adaptable players so they came up with the acronym creativity awareness resilience decision making and self-organizing and each of those as a obviously same with mine and you know in other places I've been in um, they'll have definitions for what each of those mean but I think they're really cool because they're not that influences and shapes the behavior, you know, and the expectation of what is it we're trying to develop. So if we want players to be self-organizing, I, I use the words self-regulating, well, you know, the, the more information you give to players, the more structure you have in a game, then the less they will need to self-organize. So then are we making a conscious effort to really, and I'm going to use your phrase from last week, Yaz, because I think it links, allow decisions, allow pro, uh, players to make mistakes, but allow them to be able to make decisions. So whether that could be leading the halftime talk, having players lead the halftime talk, or having players set up the activity. So versus us setting up everything and designing everything for them, can we create environments or little steps so that they become more self-organising they're leading the meeting. They're leading the team meeting. They're leading the warm-up, the arrival activity. Um, they're deciding how to organise their team to create a problem for the opposition. So all these little things, um, we're, we're developing future leaders. And that, to me, is where I normally start. So in any session or even on a match day, we've had a couple of tournaments today. We've gone back to you know these values. And then what is it that we want to amplify? So if we want players to be really good at self-learning, you know, are we giving them autonomy to go, all right, how are you going to adapt in this situation? The opposition are opposing this problem. You know, we're struggling to break them down through central areas. It's congested. How are we going to be able to solve that? Right. And then the players are going, right, what we're going to have to do, I think we should move so-and-so to this position. We're going to play around the block. And we're just going to try to we're going to attack the wide spaces quickly. But in doing so, if we're playing around, we're going to open those opportunities to, to attack centrally. But we need to move so and so up here and so and so up here because they're very good, they're quick, 
they're, they're more direct in their play and we can look to find them. Okay, that's a good strategy. So again, instead of the, the coaches always having a cut with the tactics, if you like, can we develop players that are thinking themselves? You know, you've got, no matter what format you're working at, whether it's 7v7, 9v9, 11v11, you've got, you know, if it's 11v11, you've got 11 analysts on the pitch. You know, they're playing the game. They're very intelligent now. So, you know, how do we tap into that experience because they're playing the game and, and draw from them, right? So that's where I typically start, Yaz, is I'll go, what is it I'm trying to focus on? There's got to be an overarching vision and culture that shapes coach behaviour. And then I'll try, that'll influence, obviously, the practice design. So practices that are always offering choices or always offering competition, always offering uh, challenges and clarity. That's that where I'll go because then I can reflect on that activity and go, right, what choices are being made here? Well, they're not because by the rules of the game, you know, there's no choice being made because I'm dictating to them where that ball must go. You know, so if I want them to make better choices or better understand the consequences to their action, I'm going to have to change something. So what rules can I, but have a conversation with the players because by including them, like you say, and you talk about co-design, whether it's, hey, do we need to make the area bigger, smaller, wider? What do we need to do? How do we change this? They're now becoming better thinkers. They're understanding the why. Um, so that's where I would go with it, Yaz. Yeah, and there's a lot in there. And I, you know, I think a couple of things just pop out to me straight away. And I think it's, first of all, that co-design piece, you know, coming right back to that at the end of what you just said, and I think kind of encapsulate everything really is how often are we actually asking the players how they want to, you know, be coached and maybe potentially even exploring these approaches with the players to the point where they're understanding what it actually looks like to be coached in that way and what to expect from it. And even beyond that, exploring with them, right, what 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 do they feel like works for them? Because actually the player-led piece within this could actually just be them describing to you how they want you to coach them and not necessarily always leading the session it's per se. But I think for me, it's it's not giving them full autonomy and ownership over everything that's happening, but just having having them take some control and have some decision, you know, essentially looking at them as stakeholders in the process, if you like. So I think this is a really key piece there. And I think two questions that really came out for me, um, and I'll start with the first point, is that I think sometimes coaches are, you know, a, reluctant to do the whole player-led approach thing but actually a lot of us do it without realizing and I think the most common thing that I've seen that we can probably relate it to is where you know a typical one is when goalkeepers are being asked to communicate to their back four you're giving them that ownership you're letting them lead then but you're not actually giving them the support in, in many cases on what that actually could or should look like so I think at times we we can be guilty as coaches of telling players yeah you can have ownership you can you can lead but we're not giving them any support and guidance because it's now that it's player-led, we're kind of just t- stepping back completely. And I think it's a real it's a real balance to try and get it right in that they've got enough understanding, resources and, and uh, tools to be able to go and lead, but also recognising that they've also got enough support with you as the coach to kind of lean on you and... and, and actually query right well actually you know coach i actually am not sure how i t- how i do that I, you know but then understanding the responsibility that they've been given we've also got to be understanding to the point that you know not every player that you're going to coach or not every player that you're going to come into your environment with has necessarily experienced that process before so they might be very dependent on the coach i know you've got your hand up there so go go for it Gerard, before i continue 
No, no, I, I just something you're saying there just sparked, sparked a, a thought in my mind, which is really cool. Um, and I'm excited to hear what Graham's got to say as well on it. And all I was going to add was that, um, you know, where I went with this was about developing these leaders, right? So there's got to be this clarity. So, yes, there are times where we've got to be able to be skillful in direction and guiding them to an answer. But ultimately, we want to be able to empower them in such a way that players can figure stuff out on their own. Because for the most part, they can. You know, and I mean, you know, prime example um, at the weekend, you know, there's this so much beliefs around, oh, the players can't do this, can't do that. And we're already setting the the ceiling of expectation on what these guys can or can't do. But how do we know unless we we actually, you know, go on a journey with them? So, you know, when I'm thinking about co-design, more specifically for me, co-design will empower the player, the learner, to develop knowledge of their environment, their learning environment, so that they can make better decisions in the future, you know, on how to solve problems because if if we're we're having that discussion with them we're inspiring that curiosity in them they're developing that knowledge and that experience of their game and that's where i think it's really powerful because how often have we all said this right on the room if we're listening is you know we might be watching a, a game right yaz and then yaz gets the ball and does something but i was about to stop it but he's played it somewhere, but he's seen you've seen something, Yaz, that I didn't see. But in my textbook of coaching and the coaching handbook, if you like, I'm, I'm being thingy, but you know what I'm getting at? It says, oh, when he gets the ball here, this will be the, the, the coaching point. He gets it here and I want him to go here. But actually the player might have seen something that I never saw that's a better answer to, to the problem that I have. So for me, we've got to be so careful as to always imposing our perception upon the game or our um, answer to every problem. Because actually, we've got to really discover what's in their heads. And I always use that example, even with my little boys. My little boys are young. I'm not going off on a rant, but I've seen it and it's made me think about it more. You know, like in school, you've probably seen it on YouTube, and they ask the kids, you know, draw a flower, right? And then the teacher says, no, 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 that's not a flower. This is a flower. Right, off you go, go draw the flower. So then everyone draws a similar flower to the teacher. Well, what's all that about? It, it should be actually, what like what does that look like to you? Like, let's tap into their imagination and their world. Sorry, guys, I'm just going no, off. No, no, I, think it's, I think it's brilliant. And I think, you know, the, the key thing I was going to say there, and I kind of lead back into what I was saying previously, is that I think we need to be more skilled and more um, more confident and brave in just setting an outcome. As coaches, making sure they've got clarity on the outcome, making sure there's clarity on their understanding of what, where they're going with the outcome, and why we're looking for that particular outcome. So, you know, as an example, we want you to get the ball into this area of the pitch. Or fundamentally, what we're looking to do is we're looking to penetrate. But here are the reasons why we want to try and penetrate. Now, there's many ways in which you can do that, and I think what we've got to be also very careful about is not leading. And starting that process by giving them a solution that we think is applicable and literally just set the outcome and just get them to explore it to start with. Um, or it could be an observation. So, for instance, if it's in an in-game situation, you talk there about, you know, the, well, I've noticed the opposition are doing this. What is everyone's thoughts on that? And kind of really unpack 
similar to what you're kind of really saying there in what's their perception? Are they seeing the same thing? Are they seeing something different? Because fundamentally, they're going to have a different view. But even though they've got a different view, have they come to a similar conclusion or similar observation? I think that's that's probably the best place to start for me. And, I, you know, I, I come back to, you know, what I said previously around the goalkeeping situation. You know, that's probably the most common situation where, where I do see coaches let players take the lead. And, you know, the, then the question comes as well, are you only letting players take lead when you don't have the answers for them? Are you only letting players lead when it's a bit of a quote-unquote cop-out for you as a coach to actually address the situation, if that makes sense? And then, you know, kind of it, it led me to think about another question off the back of what you were saying there, Gerard. And, you know, you talked about different formats and um, typically, obviously, the formats are linked to different age groups. So my question to you would, would be, you know, does or should player-led approaches change depending on what age and what format you're playing in? I think that's a great question, and I think, of course, without sounding like a cop out, obviously everything depends, and it, and at the same time, yes, it can, because obviously everyone's different, aren't they? I don't think there's this sort of textbook answer of at these ages you can only do this, and at this age you should do this, or at every age we should all do this. I think it's more, you know, because at certain younger ages that that we the they may need more than others, but it's very individual specific, isn't it? And obviously, the game at 77 looks so different to 9v9, 11v11. And that, that, to me, to answer it is that I think, and we've all been guilty of this, if we're honest with ourselves, is we watch the game because it's the motivation, right? It inspires us. So we watch Man City v Bayern Munich the other day, and then we think, you know, wow, look at that. Look at how he's doing this. Look at the movement in the final third. Look at this, look at that. And then we'll go away, and then we'll create a practice, and we'll try and coach our players like that. But then we've got to remember, but if you're working with 7v7, you know, we've got to be careful that uh, premature professionalism, isn't it? And like treating them like miniature adults. And it's almost like trying to walk up the stairs and jump five steps. You know, you, you keep doing it, eventually you're going to fall down the stairs versus taking one or two steps at a time. So I think if that answers your question, yeah, I think it, it will change because we've also got to be conscious of, you know, if we're working with a whatever, you know, you're old. We're actually working with a, you know, if we're working with an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old, we're working with a 25-year-old or 27-year-old in the early part of their career. But what does that look like? You know, where do we want them to be or where do they want to be, more importantly, at 27, 28, you know, that future player? Now, what does that look like for them based on their strengths, their characteristics, their developmental sort of milestones and goals at eight, nine, 10, 11? Um, so no, it's good. Sorry, as I'm conscious, probably need to get Graham in and and, shoot, and obviously mention a few bits as well. Yeah, um, just just following on with with what you both have said, um, I think it's really important, um, not just as a as a coach, but involved with teams, particularly when you mentioned there about the age groups. The big thing for me is first and foremost, your players need to be coachable, and, and what I mean by that is. We've got to have buy-in, buy-in to what we want to achieve, particularly with the older age groups. If you're going to have player-led, having leadership groups where they can go in, discuss and come back, and, and we can sit and discuss where we go with it. Um, and, and, you know, when we're, when we're out on the field as a coach, what am I looking for? You know, if, is it going to lead into um, 
play-centred with the, the different type of games that we play. What are the outcomes are we looking for? How do we measure that? Um, do we cascade it in when they're very, very young or we just give them tasters of it? But we need to, you know, we need to record it, we need to measure it, we need to practice it. And we need to fail at it because we need to understand where we can go with it. Um, for me, you know, it's more than the future because it is about their decision-making and it is about what they see. And just very quickly, you mentioned something there. Um, when we talk about players and we talk about coaches and we talk about the way that when I first started with coach, the, you know, the rigid stop-stand-still, in you go, four or five, you know, fractured the session, players got disinterested. But that's how we were taught. And I'm not going to knock that because there was an awful lot of detail in there. But things have changed. It needs to be more fluid. So how we intervene... How we keep floating the practice, do we bring to the side, how we question them is really, really important in how we produce better practices and we put that ownership onto the players. Now, just an example, uh, Willie Bowman, who I work with at Hartlepool United, central midfield player, in a practice, a kid called Brad Walker, who's now playing at Tranmere. Um, central midfield, went to play a ball, was intercepted. One of the coaches came in and went really conservative and kind of said, just like the flower, just play it sideways, which was a good option, but it wasn't the best option. And Willie went straight in and went, no, no, just try this, Brad. A little bit more pace and weight on the pass and just put that little bit of swerve on it. Recreate the picture. Ball came in and he played it through. And the kid looked at him and, and as Willie came off, I said, you just realise what you've just done there? You've actually added your gained experience as a player into your coaching. So he'd gone away from he'd gone away from just this rigid, just play that side would pass. He'd actually added it to his coaching, his playing experience. So being player led, you know, it's really important to get them on board with it. But it's also really important as a coach to be part of it because the knowledge sits with you, which it does, because they only need the nuggets. We need the detail. Uh, and, you know, that's all I want to add to this. The big question for me is, when do we start to introduce it? How do we introduce it? Age groups, I know you mentioned it there. If, you know, when I say it to players, when they talk about under sevens and under eights, under nine, if I play them at FIFA, they'll wipe the floor with me. So you just don't know how much they know until, until you try. I just want to pass it back to you. Graham, I think it's a fantastic point. Um, in fact, my my next question was literally going to be, is it ever too early to use a player-led approach? And I, I personally don't think it is. I think we should take more risks and more and be more brave of checking just how much the players know in exactly what you've just said. Because I think the key, the, key, the key thing is this, and I think this is really important for coaches to kind of really take on board here, is that they will know things and not necessarily be able to articulate it in a way that you would. So sometimes it's not asking them to explain it, but just let them show you what they want or what they're thinking. And I think that's another another key piece that I think coaches really need to kind of take take on board in, in understanding that. Yeah, I'm I'm big on asking questions in in, in my uh, in my coaching. Um, I, I encourage coaches to do the same and I encourage coaches to stay away from questions such as, does that make sense? Or do you understand? Or have we got it? Because all they're going to say is yes. Challenge the players to show you and not challenging the players to demonstrate to you through 
articulation whether they understand just get them to show you because if they can show you they don't even need to explain it you as a coach like you've just said they're graham they just need the nuggets we need the detail if we can see that they've got some context of what they're trying to achieve based for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And the outcomes that we've either set for them or agreed with them, then that is good enough. And I think I don't think there's ever an age that's too early to do that. I think the more often you check and challenge that and you, the more brave you are as a coach to throw them in a situation where you're giving them the opportunity to demonstrate that, it can only be good for them and only be good for you because you get to understand what they do know, potentially what they have considered, potentially what they haven't considered, but more specifically, you get them into the habit of understanding that actually coach trusts me. And even though coach trusts me, it doesn't mean that I have to get it right every time. And it doesn't mean I have to agree with coach's way of doing it. Me and coach can have a different way, but coach has set me an outcome and asked me to explore it in my own way. But actually, when I think it's really powerful within this process is can coach catch me doing it well in the way that I would like to do it or the way I've explored it? Or maybe, again, giving those little nuggets and saying, well, actually, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? I love the way that you did this. Because it allowed you. And I think this is another key thing. And I think it's really important about the way in which you praise players, especially young players. Um, but more, more, you know, just anyone across the board is don't just tell them it's well done. Don't just tell them good job. Don't just tell them. No, give them some real context and real, some real meat on the bones when you're going through. And I, and I do understand and I get that it can be sometimes a bit long winded and you might talk a little bit more than you would like to. And you don't want to come across as you sound, you know, you like the sound of your own voice, but fundamentally, if the players are doing something well, telling them well done, isn't good enough. They need to understand what was well done. Why was it well done? Because those are the things that if it gets rewarded, then they can repeat. They can't just repeat a well done with no context as to what it was attached to. And I think that's a real, real key piece for me. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that, Graham, Gerard, or anyone else in the room. But it would be really, really great to get some more people speaking, more people sharing experiences, asking questions around anything that's been said so far. Um, and just a quick reminder for everyone as well that this, you know, this space tonight, um, you can sign up with the link that's on my, my profile and Gerard's profile. And completing a brief post-session discussion, you can get yourself an hour CPD for um, FA FACPD hours as well. Um, so yeah, Gerard Graham, over to you guys. If I don't know if you've got anything you want to add on that. I actually agree with you guys. Um, I think it's it is important because you know a lot of the stuff that we've talked about the last couple of weeks is is kind of moved away a little bit from from where we were years ago with the coach being at the forefront of everything. And it's really important to understand that the coach is still heavily involved in the learning. And and, you, and you're right that, you know, if you say well done to somebody and you, you get that moment to tell him why, you know, do so. He's got to take that away and, and think about it. So the next time that pitcher reappears in the game, he understands what he's going to do or, she, or she's going to do. So fundamentally, we're always looking to add value in everything that we do whether it's just 
through praise, through behaviours or something we've seen on the pitch, even off the field. So, yeah, I, I mean, that was a really good point. Just really quickly on that as well, before Gerard jumps in, I think something you mentioned there, and I think the coach is traditionally seen at the forefront, and I think this is really where this question has come from and the topic of tonight's conversation has come from. Just because it's player-centred doesn't mean that the coach can't still be at the forefront. But I think the important piece within this is, are we establishing some sort of agreement or setting some sort of expectations so the players understand that actually today coach is at the forefront and these are the reasons why, but the players yourselves are still at the centre of everything. I'm doing things in X way so that we can get this outcome for you guys. However, on the flip side of that, we can also explore this approach where you guys have a bit more control, you guys are a bit more in charge but you guys are still fundamentally at the centre. And I think that's the real key piece for me. I think it's really just reinforcing that the players must always be at the centre, whether it is player-led and whether or whether it's coach-led. And that player-led doesn't mean that it can't be player-centred. Coach-led doesn't mean that it can't be player-centred as long as there's a set clear expectation and the guidance of what, what that looks like for the coach and the players in question. Gerard, over to you, man. Yeah, I think everything everyone's saying is spot on, isn't it? And it's we probably just need to keep doing an even better job every time of engaging with the parents, you know, because although we always think we know a lot about these kids, and we do, and these kids can surprise us, can't they? You know, with how much they actually know and can do. Um, but we've also got to make sure that the person who's spending the most amount of time with that child is involved as well. You know, we talk about player-led and co-design and with the player, but that parent is a significant part of that environment, isn't there? So, and I think that's something, I know we've not touched on it, but it's a huge piece because, you know, if, if they know what we're doing and we're working together as a team, you know, we can achieve some pretty powerful stuff. And, you know, ultimately, a lot of parents will have this preconceived version of what they think coaching looks like or what is good coaching. Graham talked about it earlier. And we were taught a certain way, weren't we? And there's still this sort of myth really now. You know, you'll see certain parents where they're like, oh, my kid responds better if he's yelled at or if he's this or he's that or the coach just tells him what to do or whatever. But like, then they might see us and we're not doing that per se. Uh, but the players are much more enriched in what's going on. And... It's a collaborative approach. Do they think that's good coaching? So I think that's where, you know, that's probably a topic for another day. But all I was going to add, Yaz, before some of the other stuff was, um, I think if with this perspective that you, Graham, and everyone's talking about, it's uncovered this important feature of what player-led co-design really means. You know, we, we, we often talk a lot about principles of play, tactics, all these things, and how we want to coach the principles. Um, and I think... You know, we've got to think about the role of the coach in that, you know, and, and who's developing this sort of principle, this game model, this idea. Because through co-design, you know, we always say we want intelligent players, problem solvers, blah, blah, blah. Well, coaches working together, to, to Graham's point, with the players and with the, with the key people, you share rich experiential knowledge around these problems, around these tactics. So I think that's a huge thing to consider is that we're sharing and tapping into each other's rich experiences um, and knowledge. So if you combine all that together, you're going to get a, a fantastic outcome, you know, because they might come up with an idea that, 
we've not really thought of. And that's where we need to lean on ourselves as well. And it's okay to let them run with that and make mistakes and try it, you know, uh, because they're going to be better for it. Gerald, I think you're spot on. I think you know really want to touch on that that parent education piece, and I think it's, it's just as important for the parents as it is the players. In many ways, this could be a reprogramming for a lot of the parents in terms of this is the approach that we're going with, and this is the reasons why. And I think we've got to take that effort. We've got to make that effort to so that the players and the parents do understand what the process looks like. And I think the the, the challenges that come with that, and one of the challenges invariably is the fact that it becomes more challenging to actually assess whether development is taking place. Because if you go down the, you know, the traditional coach-led route where it's very directed, it's very um, coach says whatever they need to say and the players need to respond and react directly to that. And if they don't, then it's seen as not been successful. And if they do and they do it well and they do it exactly how the coaches ask, it's deemed successful. And I think it's, almost reprogramming the players and understanding what coaching could look like, reprogramming the parents around what coaching could look like, but also setting that expectation and making it clear that actually we want learning to take place and not rehearsal and reenactment of what the coaches said. It's not following instructions that, we're, that that's going to help the players necessarily develop. I'm not saying that doesn't have a benefit to some extent because it may or may not do. But fundamentally, we want the players to become self-thinkers, want to you know self-organizers, as as you like to say, Gerard. But also, fun, you know, if if we really want to get them better at leading one another, you know, especially when it comes to on the pitch and and working with another one another, holding each other accountable, and taking responsibility for one another. Sorry, that was my Siri, but um, <laughs> taking accountability and fundamentally, you know having higher expectations and standards of one another as well and themselves, we we need to allow them to experience that. And I think, Graham, you touched on it earlier about letting them fail. We need to fail as coaches. The players need to fail as coaches. But I think the key and the fundamental thing that we need to be able to do off the back of that is be able to reflect and understand the reasons as to why it did or did not work well. Sorry, Gerald, I went on a bit of a rant there. But over to you, man. No, it's good. It's good. And it's funny because I was just I'm laughing at myself thinking not it's not to be contradictory because we're saying these things, are we? But then it's it's funny because there's a point you said right earlier where you're talking about asking questions, but, you know, don't tell me, show me. And I think that's a huge powerful as one as well. I don't want that message to, to get uh, missed as a side note because I think we, you know, we do this a lot, don't we, where we ask loads of questions. And I've got in my head um, one of my former colleagues where he said he feels like we're almost becoming the Riddler and then, you know, some players will just want them you know, to tell them type of thing. Uh, but I think ultimately the way you've, you've worded it is much more powerful because just because they can verbalise an answer or not doesn't mean they don't understand or they do. Because you can get some players where they can't articulate into words, but they still know what to do in the moment. Well, that's better. So I, one thing I've been doing a lot, talking about player-led, is asking questions, but it's setting a challenge. It's a rhetorical question, and I'm not. I'm not seeking an answer. It, it literally is. It is a question. Go show me, and then in the next few minutes, then they're out and playing, and they've got to show it. So I think um, your point earlier is really good. You know, and uh, no, I just want to take this moment. Yeah, just real, just a recap again. You know, um, obviously we're doing these conversations regularly. It's been a great 
you know, part of what we're doing and trying to increase this cute coaching community. So I'm looking forward for more people to to join in the discussion, interact, you know, and obviously through the coaches network, you lonely, you know, we're delighted to be working with uh, Middlesex FA to, to give people the opportunity to gain uh, an hour of FA CPD po- through the, the post-session self-reflection task. Um, we've had incredible engagement already. So if you haven't done already, you know, I'd definitely encourage you to check it out, the previous sessions which are available. Um, I'll pop a couple of tweets out in the next few minutes where people can uh, click on the previous discussions. So one where it was how to lead players in taking ownership. You can listen back to that. We've had over 300 people, 350 people, you know, engage in, in last week's really interesting Twitter space. And the one before that, we've had a few hundred as well on, you know, whether practice should be announced or announced. So there's some great discussions here. So really take, you know, if you're joining us for the first time, take advantage of this opportunity. Even if you were there last week, just re-listening to it is useful. Complete the, the post-session task, uh, send it in to myself or Yaz, and then obviously you'll get the accredited CPD. Um, just on that note as well, uh, everyone will have up until June 5th to complete all the self-reflection tasks. So don't feel, because we know everyone's really busy and you've got your day jobs and just your general lives. So you've got up until June 5th to complete the self-reflection and get up to four hours of CPD. Um, if you can listen through and complete for all four sessions. This is obviously the third week. We've got one more week to go, which is next Sunday as well. Um, if you just want to do one, that's okay as well. I don't know if there's anything you want to add on to that, Yaz. Yeah, just to, just really quickly, obviously, just to remind everyone that, you know, we're here weekly and we're trying to grow this coaching community and, and there's as much as the, there is as information coming from me, you, Joe, and even Graham on this occasion as well. There's so much experience in the room with us and it'll be great to get some insights and some questions uh, posed against anything or agreeing with anything that we've said or haven't said. I think it's just an opportunity for us, again, like I said, to continue engaging, sharing information, growing as one another um, and just continue developing as coaches. I think if there's anything that we can do off the back of these spaces, just walk away with one thought that's provoked us in some way um, around how we're going to further develop our coaching or even potentially challenge what, we've, what, we exi- what we're currently doing. So I think that's probably the biggest message from me. And um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to kind of touch on other than just keep, Keep giving yourself, you know, have to have some confidence to check and challenge what your players actually know. Um, take it, you know, uh, don't want this to come across in the wrong way, but, you know, it's, it's just really is about taking your ego out of it sometimes and appreciate and accept and understand that you don't have all the answers. And even if you feel like you do, your players can come up with different ones. Um, you know, and, 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 I'll fi- and I'll finish on, on this, this one, really. And I remember just probably shared this before in one of the previous spaces, one of the most impactful moments that I can you know, recall in my coaching journey, I was working with a group of players and goalkeepers at the time, in fact. And I went into the session really thinking to myself, right, I've got an outcome that I'm going after and I've also got the process which goes with it, if you like. And there was a group of goalkeepers from different nations, different cultures, different backgrounds, and I'm what I'm watching the session go through, and I'm and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, right, they're getting success, they're getting the outcome that I'm looking for, but something wasn't sitting right with me, and it was fundamentally that they weren't doing it with the process which I which I'd kind of set set for them. Um, 
but it was almost like a, a bit of a light bulb moment for me because it kind of took took that moment for me to step back and say, actually, what's the process that they're using? Because I went into that one session with one key way of doing this particular practice or the, you know going after this set outcome. And I left with seven different ways of doing it only because I took the time and, you know, I actually took a step back in an opportunity just to observe what the players were doing and try and understand a little bit more about why they were doing it in the way they were doing it, whether that was based on their previous coaching experiences that they've had, whether that's based on the cultural influences that they may have uh, been exposed to as keepers from different nations, potentially, or whether there was any rationale to it at all. But fundamentally, it started to get me to think about, right, what's the profile of the player? What, what what are some of the challenges that they may have you know with that profile what are some of the, the advantages they may have with that profile so as an example if you're a six foot four goalkeeper you might be more comfortable slightly higher you know slightly uh higher off your line because you're not thinking about getting lobbed necessarily or if you're a smaller goalkeeper but you're quicker you might be comfortable sitting slightly deeper on your line because you don't want to get lobbed but you're quick enough to come out and deal with a 1v1 potentially or whatever that situation may be so i start really paying attention to that and it, it gave me an opportunity just to kind of, yeah, just open my mind to some different possibilities of what the solutions could look like and not solutions that were dictated or designed by me, but actually prepared and applied by the by the players I was working with. So that, you know, that's probably one of the big, just a little takeaway I wanted to kind of just leave everyone with um, when you're starting to think about whether you should really go with a player-led approach and allowing them to have that freedom and flexibility to explore and provide you with some solutions that you might not have considered. So, yeah. Um... Love it, mate. Love it. Well, I'm curious as well, just Tony, Graham, even Dean. Dean, you know, got some rich experiences with FIFA and, and everything else you've done at Barnet and some other clubs, you know, or or Paul from your sort of goalkeeping background and some of the other things you've done. I'd be curious, how, how does this look for you, you know, in the environments you're working in, if anyone's willing to jump in as well? Evening, Tony. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. Um, just had a, a bit of a busy day trying to get a new pup um, acclimatised to three screaming grandkids and all that goes with it. I um, did you? Joking, I'm knackered now. She's just laid there flat out and absolutely turned the world upside down. Uh, but that's not what we're here for, is it? Um yeah, I I just I, I was gonna get away with just listening to one tonight, um, and but you know what I'm like. As soon as somebody mentions my name, I feel as though I've got to chime in. Um, one of the things that that we do, which kind of goes along with the, um, I guess the the player led and taking it quite literally, is um, I very rarely now take a warm up. Um, we we've given that over to the players and it's kind of it, it brings out leadership qualities in some of the kids that you wouldn't normally expect it to you know it wouldn't be a typical captain material um but for me the 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 meat of the session is is driven by me not not i'd like it to be not driven by me in terms of 
their um, application and effort. But, but I, I do find that sometimes it has to be. But it, it does go back to that point that I think you made it earlier on, and I I tend to make quite a lot when I'm working with obviously mainly grassroots players these days, is that I shouldn't be the one that, that has to drive your motivation and your effort. If my session, if it, if it is my fault, if the session's boring, then, I, you know, I guess I'd have to hold my hands up to that. Um, but if they're there to learn and, and, and they want to tap in to my experience, then I don't, I don't think that the coach should be the driver of that. I think that the coach should be the, you know, the, the fountain of knowledge, if you like. As Gerard said earlier on, you won't have all the answers, and it's um, it's not a sign of weakness uh, to admit that uh, at all. It's a, if anything, it's a sign of strength. Um, but I, I do believe that the coach uh, has got a sort of that main. The business of the session has got to take the responsibility for that. Um, having said that, it's player, it's it's coach led, the main part, but it's player centred, because what I'm doing is for their benefit, not for mine. Uh, it's to try and in, you know improve their understanding, increase their understanding of the game or a particular situation uh, from within the game. Um, and and I think that that's where you know I, I'm I'm coming at this from. I did miss the first ten minutes, so if I've if I've said something that um, that somebody else has covered, then I uh, I kind of apologise for that. No, I think what you've done is actually tie it in quite well, especially with that definition there, because you you're talking about the player centre, but you can still be player led. So I think that's actually quite a good. No, almost to, to sort of consolidate and build on. Yaz, you've got your hand yeah, up. Yeah, just really quickly on that, um, what Tony's just said, I think it's a great point. And I think something that probably worth mentioning here is that we can be very naive at times, I think, as coaches when we're recognising that the players should come with a certain mentality. And I do believe players should come with a mindset of I'm coming to train rather than I'm coming to be trained. But I think... It's also worth really importantly highlighting that coaches, if your players aren't coming with the mindset of what I've just described, chances are they're not going to start coming with that mindset unless you take some accountability and responsibility for making the session more engaging. So I think it's just really important just to kind of touch on that as well because that player-led piece links into this perfectly. It's, it's, do we know enough around what the players actually want from the session? You know, Are we letting them help us shape the identity of our practices and our sessions so that they can become more engaged in it. And to, it gets to a point where sometimes they have to then understand, again, this is coming back to one of the first points I was making, we have to then understand the pros and cons of certain approaches and certain ways of working and, and why sometimes it might be a bit of a stop-stand-still session just because you really want to get some of that detail in there. But there's a there's a fine balance in terms of right what we feel might be best practice for certain situations because I think there's a lot of value in that stop, stand, still. And I think coaches should not walk away from that approach at all. 
It's just about finding the right opportunities to bring that into it and letting the players understand that actually stop, stand still might be useful in certain moments, especially as an example, when maybe the intensity is going through the roof, I might need to stop it. And I might give you a little bit more in, you know, a bit of more of an intervention where I'm going in a little bit more detail just so you can get your recovery. But also I'm giving you the detail that's necessary for when you go back in, because I want to see it straight away as an example. But on the flip side of that, I'm going to give you a lot of opportunity to play. I'm going to give you an opportunity to lead. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do the intervention yourselves and even just use me as a soundboard, if you like. But it's just, I think it's really important to kind of just touch on what Tony's saying, just really take accountability as a coach to recognise that if your players aren't coming with the right mindset, whether you like to hear it or not, fundamentally, it's your fault. It's your fault because the session's not engaging enough. And if it was, they wouldn't be coming with the wrong mindset. So it's just again it's part of that reprogramming piece that I was talking about earlier in terms of what coaching should and could look like but also having some agreed outcomes in it setting those agreed expectations around what that looks like so yeah it's just a final note for me there really Gerard I don't know if you've got anything you want to add on that No I think it's a good one to end on isn't it which is just an accountability for ourselves look ourselves in the mirror isn't it versus always blaming the players for their attitude or motivation or whatever what could we be doing better you know, to create a better environment. So no, I think it's a good place to to end on, really, because if we all had that mentality, not just in coaching but in life, I think we'd probably be a lot better. So yeah, it's brilliant discussion tonight. You know, really, really good, and it's great to see a lot of new faces. And just want to reiterate, you know, this is a an accredited opportunity if you take advantage of completing the post session self reflection task. So what will happen is we'll send out a sheet shortly, a form, which you can complete an email back to us. So only the ones that have uh, registered for this event um, will be able to gain access to that. If you haven't registered, the link is in the bios. You'll be able to see it in the, the messages or even clicking on Yaz's profile as well and sign yourselves up, register, take advantage of the opportunity. Um, it's a great way just to upskill and count towards your own CPD on your own profile, your fan page. And then, yeah, complete the tasks. Make sure all tasks are done by no later than June 5th and uh, take advantage of up to four hours of uh, FA accredited CPD, which is in partnership with Middlesex FA. We're looking forward to next week's chat. There'll be another good one. What, Yaz, just going on about game models and... and uh, I guess it's it, it just solidify all these sort of topics, really. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to add on to that, Yaz, you know, just, prep for next Yeah, week. definitely. I think, you know, first of all, a massive thank you for everyone that's been involved tonight and obviously over the last couple of weeks. Make sure you are signed up, as Gerard said. Make sure you're following both of us. And obviously, if you had another chance to catch this from the beginning, you can, you know, run it back um, after the conversation is done. So there's still an opportunity for you to catch up on anything that's been missed and still complete the task off the back of the session as well. And then I think just really importantly, I think just reiterating, you know, we're here, we're here most weeks um, looking to coach, you know, develop this coaching community so that we can continue to grow with one another. And obviously, if we can continue building this momentum, then it, it puts us in a really good position to hopefully extend this CPD offer into the, into the month of June and beyond, where hopefully we can get every single one of these spaces sessions accredited for you guys as well. So please do make sure you're following us, make sure you're sharing, make sure you're engaging with us whether that be sharing insights, getting involved through the conversation by asking questions or even just leaving comments on the bottom of the conversation, really. Um, again, I think, Gerard, probably worth just noting, obviously, the ULERBY platform as well. You know, you can catch some further content on the Coach, uh, Coaches Network podcast as well. Um, you can find all the links and all the, 
the information regarding that on both our profiles. So please make sure you're following us. Stay in touch, get the task done, and hopefully look forward to seeing you guys next week. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.